Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Murder in the Midwest. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. The mid-1800s was a dangerous time to live in the Midwest. I know I always talk about being from there, but we are not talking about Wisconsin today, friends. We are talking about a West that was basically just farmland, dirt roads, the wild, wild West. We're going to talk about a serial killer family with their own bed and breakfast within it. This is the case of the Bloody Bender family. The Civil War displaced many people whose family were killed in the war, were just moving, were freed, uh, ready to start their own lives. A lot of people had seen combat or had grown used to violence and continued to be violent through the trails and towns toward the West. Southeast Kansas in particular was known to be a really rough area. In 1870, five families of spiritualists, I use those in quotations, settled in western Labette County, about seven miles northeast of Cherryvale, Kansas. One of these families was the Benders, the father, John Bender Sr., who was 60, his wife, Elmira, 55, their son, John Jr., who was 25, and their daughter, Kate, 23. It was a very close-knit family, cult-like even, and the families in this kind of spiritualist circle chose from several available claims and began to make their homes in the area. John Bender chose a 160-acre section of land, his son, a piece right next to it. The Benders were German immigrants and seemed like, you know, modest, salt-of-the-earth, homesteading pioneers who kept to themselves and worked hard to till the land. They kept mostly to themselves. Um, They appeared to simply be struggling and working hard to earn a living like the other pioneers in the area. John was over six feet tall, very tall for the time, with dark eyes under huge bushy eyebrows, which earned him the fun nickname of Old Beetle-Browed John. He had a gigantic beard, a red face, and long hair, and often had a sour expression on that face. Very fun. 
Elvira, or Ma, was large with sinister eyes, so much so that the neighbors began to call her a she-devil. She also claimed to be a medium who could speak with the dead, and boiled herbs and roots used to cast charms or wicked spells. Her husband and son were said to have feared her as she ran the household with an iron hand. Both John and Ma spoke with low, kind of guttural, almost indecipherable German accents. John Bender Jr. was tall, thin, and known to be handsome. He was social but prone to laughing aimlessly, which made people think he was kind of an idiot. Their daughter Kate was the friendliest of the bunch, which is not saying much. She was very beautiful, social, had a good sense of humor, and loved welcoming strangers. She and her brother John often attended Sunday school at nearby Harmony Grove, and hey, the community kind of liked them. Kate did have a flaw, though. She was very ambitious. For a pioneer woman, not a great quality. She was a self-proclaimed healer and psychic also, gave lectures on spiritualism, and conducted seances. She wrote little flyers and started lecturing on her skills, including supernatural powers, talking with the dead, and the ability to cure illnesses. But not only that, she was a huge advocate for free love and justified the act of murder. She went after success pretty aggressively for the time, her gender, her age, so much so that combined with her beauty intelligence and unorthodox ideas began to have people think that she was satanic. She would take most of the blame of the controversy and terror of what was to come. In 1871, the family built a small one-room cabin, a barn, corral, and dug a well. Inside the cabin, the area was partitioned with a large canvas, creating living quarters in the back and a small inn and store in the front. A crude sign was hung above the front door that advertised groceries, supplies like gunpowder, food, liquor, and tobacco. It also sold hot meals and provided rooms for the night to transient strangers. But again, not to foreshadow this too hard, the transients were not the ones to be afraid of. The people that stayed at the inn on their way to start a new life, move, buy land, whatever, were usually carrying, you know, some cash on them, maybe their life savings. And they began to go missing. When friends and family started looking for them, they could trace them as far as the big hill country of southeast Kansas before the trail went cold. These first few missing travelers were like, you know, no big deal. This is the Wild West. People go missing all the time. Travel at your own risk. But as more time passed, the disappearances became more frequent. By 1873, rumor had it that you did not want to travel the south Kansas trails. When rumors got even Bigger, about 75 people from the community gathered to see what could be done about their bad reputation. Both Bender men were in attendance. The meeting began by talking through the people that were reported missing, including a well-known doctor named William York. The group decided to search every farmstead in the area. Most of the attendees were really involved, really wanted to get to the bottom of it, and volunteered to have their farm searched. The Benders kept quiet. Sometime later, a neighbor of the Benders noticed that the Bender Inn was abandoned and their farm animals were dying. A search party was soon formed, which included the missing Dr. York's brother. When the men arrived at the property, they found the cabin pretty empty. They also noticed a terrible smell. But the most concerning thing the men noticed was a door nailed completely shut on the floor of the cabin. The men of the community pried the door open and found a six-foot-deep bloody hole, the source of the odor. There was nothing else in the hole, though. Then the search party decided to physically move the entire cabin to do a more thorough search underneath, but they found nothing. They kept digging around the cabin, especially in the nearby vegetable garden in the orchard. It was there that they found the first body, buried face down, its feet barely covered in its shallow grave. It was Dr. William York, his skull crushed and throat cut. 
The digging continued into the next day, when nine other bodies and countless dismembered body parts were found, including a woman and a little girl. The little girl's body was found to have multiple injuries. None of them would have caused death, so it was speculated that she might have been buried alive. Everyone was disgusted, shocked. Every other, you know, adjective you could use to describe this um, small town's reaction. The burial site was christened Hell's Half Acre. Another brother of Dr. York, a lawyer and state senator, offered a $1,000 reward for information leading to the Bender family's arrest. On May 17th, Governor Thomas Osborne added to that amount by offering $2,000 reward for the apprehension of all four Bender family members. As you might imagine, a new rumor spread around the area. Thousands of people flocked to the site. As far as New York, Chicago, media would come and report on it. The Bender cabin was ripped apart by souvenir hunters, right down to the bloody bricks in the cellar. On that note, let's take a little break. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hello, this is Alyssa Carroll from Serial Killing, a podcast. I have always been less interested in the body count statistics of serial killers or other murderers and more so into what made them become so evil. Was it their childhood environment? Or perhaps it was an inherited propensity for violence? In Serial Killing, a podcast, I go back to the very beginning and explore the full spectrum. What was going on in the world when they were born? Possible inherited family traits and childhood exposure to negative experiences so that perhaps we can get a better understanding of what drove them to become the dangerous individuals they became. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. Are are you well? I hope so. We hope so. We always hope so. We, I know. Do we know? It's a little midweek. We hope you're well. Mm-hmm. We want to say thank you to anyone who's listened or shared the podcast or used word of mouth. Mm. Right? Remember word of mouth? That doesn't exist anymore, does it? I think no. everything's just internet or phone-based. If I'm not typing it into my phone, does it even exist? Yeah. So wh- whatever your word of mouth is, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you to all the patrons Thank you to our government, mm-hmm. which would include two people we've gotten messages from <gasps> that I'm going to read. Oh, my goodness. Yes. we have Good messages, we, bad messages. Mm, only one way to find out. Oh, Listen God. for another 10 seconds. <sighs> I want to say hello to Joshua Lambert. Hello. I'm going to say Dara Rosenzweig, but she's one of the messages we got. Oh, and no. Let's see how close I was with that. Okay. It's just maybe clarity. I can't have another person leave our Patreon. I'll say it right now. Ashley Matson. Hello. Ben Forsyth. Hello. 
gotten good at their names. Yeah, that's good. Keep them around. <laughs> and at the top of the charts, Avian Noble. Avian. You should get a, uh, like a ghost town monocle. Yeah, a monocle, a top That's what like, a lot of people use as merch, right? Monocles? Yeah, actually have a, one free ticket to an, an opera. Yeah. A box seat in old-timey opera. And a, was it Penny Farthing bike? Those bikes, <laughs> is that what they call Penny Farthing <laughs> with a big wheel? I'm going to give you a hoop and a stick. Yeah. So that's we'll mail it to you. Very old-timey. Yeah. So if you want to hear ad-free episodes with none of this chit-chat, early access, bonuses... <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Really, it all really helps us out. Mm-hmm. Keeps everything moving. So the first message is from Joshua Lambert. He sent a message via Instagram. Amazing. I know you're into abandoned places. Haven't done much research on it, but saw a video of it and thought it might be up y'all's alley. It is the haunted Horton mine. Uh, may whisper to you in Nevada. So maybe we'll do a little research on that. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you. The Horton Mine. I mean, we can't not cover the Horton Mine. I get, you know, my own mine. Your if own it, if mine. it was the lead mine, I wouldn't even read it. I'd I know. Like, nah. I, you like, want, I want a mine that's mine. So this is an official message from Dara. Hey, guys. Okay, you're close. My <laughs> oh, name no. is pronounced Dara like Dada. So it's Dara. Dara, okay. Yeah, Dara. Okay, Dara. Dara. Like dare to dream. Uh, y- yeah. Got it. And Rosen's wig, like Rosen, S-Y-G. So it is Rosen Zweig. Rosen okay. Rosen Zweig. Dara Rosen Zweig. Yeah. I got it. Dara Rosen Zweig. Dara Rosen Zweig. So, she must be so pissed to hear us struggle through that every episode <laughs> but you get to be the center of our universe for that for that, for that moment great lucky you dara rosenzweig now i know you want a party <laughs> and the only party i know is the apple Podcasts review party mm-hmm. thank you to anyone who's left one or hasn't left one yet or if you're not an apple podcast it's fine anywhere you leave it it all helps yeah drop it down but make it nice please i'm fragile yeah, baby. Five stars. <laughs> okay, okay. I got it. I started listening to Ghost Town around two years ago. It's quickly become my go-to podcast. Mm. Rebecca and Jason have a rare creative chemistry mm. that combined with well-researched and interesting topics makes for a show that's both entertaining and relaxing. I like a little comic relief with my spooky, and these two definitely deliver. They cover stories that are a little more obscure than what I see a lot of other podcasts doing, and the banter is pleasant and lighthearted. Definitely give Ghost Town a listen. Hell yeah. That's from Tyler St. Clair in the U.S. or A. <laughs> the United States or America? Yeah, pick one. <laughs> he said we were relaxing. Here's the next one. XXXX Gold, five stars. What? It's from an OnlyFans account that came oh. to life. <laughs> it became self-aware. <laughs> Love the podcast. Great content. And that's from Tony Soprano in Australia. Amazing. I love your show. Yeah. And he's like... He's like, that's enough. Yeah. Enough for me. I've had my fill. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again, all of you who are Patreon donors and who have gotten tarot reads from me. It's really fun. I do it professionally. Another weird thing that 
is a part of my life. I'm happy to do it for the rest of you. If you so desire, just hit me up on Instagram or email me. It's a lot of fun. I know right now things are changing. The world is opening up. If you need some tarot guidance, I'm here for you. Who's not here for you is a serial killing family from the Old West. Let's get back to the benders because we haven't even hit the craziest part of it yet. So here's where we're at. The benders have left their homestead. The townspeople have found a bloody hole and shallow graves around it. But then they started figuring out who these people actually were. They're they're neighbors, you know, they're fellow farmers. So the benders were obviously not what they appeared to be. In fact, the only ones that were even related were Ma and Kate Bender. But let's backtrack for one second. So the York brothers, again, their their brother went missing and was found dead in that communal gravesite on the Bender property. They became obsessed with what happened to their brother, and with their help, the town pieced together what was happening to the missing travelers. In the winter of 1872, a man named George Newton Longcore and his infant daughter had left Independence for Iowa, but were never heard from again. In the spring of 1873, Longcore's former neighbor, Dr. William York, took it upon himself to go looking for his friends, stopping at homesteads along the trail to ask questions. Though he reached Fort Scott unscathed, he started to return to Independence around March 8th, but he never did that. He never got there. Dr. York's two brothers, one living in Fort Scott, the other in Independence, were aware of his plans, and when he did not come home, they freaked out. They gathered 50 men to question every traveler along the trail and stopped at every area home. They stopped at the Bender Inn, and the Benders admitted that Dr. York had stopped at their place, but he didn't stay. Even Kate attempted to, quote, search for the missing doctor using her psychic power. The launchers had also been found in the mass burial site behind the house. So they knew, the townspeople knew that they were buried there. Dr. York was buried there. They knew that more people had stories to tell. As word of the murders spread, more and more travelers came forward to tell their own stories of narrow escape, including a man named William Pickering. When he refused to sit with his back to the canvas because of its disgusting stains, Pickering said that Kate Bender threatened him with a knife, at which point he was like, you know what, I'm not going to stay here tonight. A Catholic priest said that he too fled when he saw one of the Bender men concealing a large hammer. As more people came forward with their narrow escapes, the actual story of the Bender family started to reveal itself. Of the family, Pa Bender was actually a man named John Flickinger from either Germany or Holland. Though he allegedly committed suicide in 1884 in Lake Michigan, others thought that Ma and Kate had eventually murdered him after they had all left because he had fled with all the cash and valuables they had taken from their victims. Ma Bender was born Elmira Make, M-E-I-K, in the Adirondacks and married as a teenager to a man named George Griffith. After having 12 kids with him, a litter of children, including Kate, Mr. Griffith died of a head wound. Interesting. Ma reportedly married several times, likely killing those husbands and three of her older children so they could not testify against her. John Jr. was a man named John Gebhardt, and he was actually very smart. Though they claimed to be siblings publicly, likely him and Kate were lovers. Tales of Kate getting pregnant sometimes circulated, and rumor had it that she would kill the baby once it was born. Kate was the fifth child of Ma Bender and was born Eliza Griffith. At some point, she married and went by the name of Sarah Eliza Davis. Allegedly, while working at the Mender Inn, she also earned her keep as a prostitute, adding an additional amount of the traveler's bill for the privilege of her company. In the end, it was Kate who was primarily blamed for the numerous bloody murders that, even at her young age, 
they all thought that she was the inspiration for the crimes, which again, we can talk a little bit about later, but is kind of illuminating. When a man stopped in for a meal, here's what would happen. They were seated at a table with their back to the large canvas that separated the inn from the living quarters. Obviously, this canvas was disgusting. Then Kate would approach them, schmooze, flirt, maybe demonstrate her psychic gifts. While this was happening, Pa and John Bender would be hiding behind the canvas, creep out, and strike the traveler in the skull with a hammer. Ma Bender and Kate would then scavenge the body for money, and after collecting what they wanted, they'd push him through the trap door. But that is not all. Down in the hole, of course, who knows if he was dead or not, whatever, to make sure Kate would slit his throat. Then the body would be buried in the garden behind the house, and it would start all over again. After Colonel York's visit and the town meeting, the Bender family got out of Dodge. What is crazy is that they acquired only around $4,600, two teams of horses and a pony, and one saddle, for all of that work. Because some of the travelers were carrying nothing of value, it was widely speculated that the Benders killed because they liked it. After following a trail of wagon tracks, a search party found the Benders had gone to a town about 12 miles away. There, they boarded a train. The conductor of the train said that John Jr. and Kate disembarked in Texas, then allegedly left to go to New Mexico. Meanwhile, Ma and Pa Bender continued on the train north to Kansas City, heading for St. Louis. Word kept spreading, and everyone, law enforcement, and even other criminals were trying to capture these people. One vigilante group claimed to have shot down the men and Ma Bender and burned Kate alive. Another group claimed to have killed the Benders during a gunfight and buried their bodies on the prairie. But, like most of this, these stories can never really be confirmed. There wasn't really regimented historical documents. A lot of it is word of mouth. There wasn't even really photographs. There's illustrations of these people. For years, sightings of Ma Bender and Kate were reported, and in 1889, two women were actually extradited from Michigan on the the charge of the Bender murders. Though the pair were jailed, the case was eventually dropped for lack of evidence. One detective said that he had traced John Jr. along the Texas-New Mexico border where he found him dead. He had died of apoplexy. If that's not enough for you, listeners, another tale began to circulate regarding the log cabin that the Benders lived in and killed people in. A decade after all of this went down, nothing was left of the cabin and the outside buildings on the property except that empty trapdoor hole that had once been the cellar. From that hole, people would hear moaning sounds, maybe from the ghosts of the victims. Others reported seeing glowing apparitions on the property. Even others say that they had seen the ghost of Kate Bender herself returned, doomed to roam the very land where she had committed so many crimes. The story is still so prevalent in Cherryvale that in 1961, the Bender Museum was created. In honor of the Kansas statewide centennial celebration, an exact replica of the Bender cabin was built that housed antiques and household items. In its first three days of opening, it attracted more than 2,000 visitors. In 1967, three of the Bender hammers were gifted to the museum. It remained a popular tourist destination until it closed in 1978, where they built a fire station there instead. Very controversial museum didn't last too long. Do I wish I could have gone there? Yes, I do. I was going to say, I was like, this place has to be haunted. (laughs) All the, I mean, there's no way that it's not. Yeah, it's a lot happened there for sure. But I think more interesting to me than the hauntings is really just how much I found that pinned it on this, the youngest woman in this group, which is like, again, very telling 
of the idea of witchcraft. Like it, I feel like it harkens back to Salem witch trials, the idea of a, a dangerous young woman, someone who's beautiful and calculated and smart and, da- you know, dangerous, like I said before. It's interesting that they had a museum so early, not to say that, you know, the early, people are interested in, in history and the morose and oddities, but it, I feel like we see more of that now. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not surprised that it closed in 1970 because I think at the time probably people had just had different interests, like you said, mm-hmm. maybe a little controversial. Yeah, like in bad taste. Bad taste. I mean, I, I guess it, you know, I don't know how they present, you know, how they presented it or yeah. whatever. I mean, there's. In the 60s, you know, they were PC. It was great. It was very respectful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it wasn't like, hey, this is a museum. Here's a historic thing. It's like, here's a kind of a freak show yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I, I, again, who's to say? I couldn't find anything on what it looked like. So I, I can't speak to that directly. But I think if it was existed now, Mm -hmm. I'm sure people would love to. Yeah, you know, you know, because it's you know that people love the old west and you know the late 1800s. People, you know, people Mm -hmm. are interested in that. They hold on to that. Still, you know, part of American history. So I, I. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, hey, let's try to bring this back just for the sake of you know maybe tourism or mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Uh, but I think that's interesting that in the nineteen six like early nineteen sixties had something that would be very popular now. Whether mm-hmm. it's you know the um, was it the axe house the, the Lizzie Borden yeah. house and and a lot of these a lot of these places uh, that are historic. But you, totally. know, you gotta ha- you gotta have it you know survive for a long time yeah they'll be like hey listen in 50 years this is gonna be hot don't tear it down <laughs> but it was hot back then too yeah. like people would like it got tore down by people who were interested in what happened like months later which is also very interesting which goes to show like this is not new this fascination with the morbid and death and killing and you know these traumatic events and sensationalism but it's interesting that you mentioned the lizzie borden house because a lot of people liken this property to that place even though there's really nothing left but just the the amount of fascination around it and female led i guess like female fronted definitely female fronted kill band yeah yeah they're oh boy yeah it's like uh, imagine dragons but not Uh. got them Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.